Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. So, Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Here we go. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those from those whose way of life is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about presence. That's what the first three chapters of the book are about. And to be honest, it's actually really powerful that this morning, you know, I really enjoyed that we kind of went after the sun worship for longer. Because really that's what it's about, that we would gather together, that we would honor his presence as a, as a community. And um, um, a little bit about me, if you were at the commissioning service a month ago, four weeks, then you might have met my mum and dad and my brothers. Uh, I am from a Christian home. My mum and dad um, led a church. Uh, they then had a time not leading a church, and now they lead a church again. So I grew up as a pastor's son, and our house at home was uh, definitely had a culture of Jesus being involved in everything that we did. My mum and dad really um, wanted to create a, a culture at home where Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, formed a lot of how our lives uh, were governed. And so um, I remember when I was five Mum and dad, well actually my mum was reading me a bedtime story and at the end of it she said, do you want to be friends with Jesus? And uh, at five I said, yes. And we prayed a prayer and at that point, at five years old, I would say that's when I became a Christian. Now, my yes as a five-year-old uh, is very different from my yes now as a 32-year-old. Uh, it's obviously gained uh, a lot of strength. It's obviously gained a whole load of experience. I said yes at, at five, and I believe that I meant it. But now when I say yes to Jesus this morning, it does mean something different. And um, we had a, uh, I had mum and dad who would regularly ask me and my brothers. They'd be like, what does God think about this? What does God think about that? They'd be encouraging us to develop a life where we were pursuing what God was saying. Um, I remember when I was about 10, 11, there was this thing called the Toronto Outpouring, which uh, Toronto, obviously out in Canada, there was a church out there that um, basically having these meetings and the Holy Spirit was just showing up in a powerful way. Obviously got worldwide press and people were flying to Canada getting the anointing, and then coming back to their churches around 
the country, around the world. And um, so I remember my dad went out there. He got the prayer. He came back, and we started doing these meetings uh, at our church. And on a Sunday night, we would show up. I was about 10, 11 years old. Um, and all these adults would show up and they'd start singing like we were singing this morning and people would just start like laying their hands on each other and people would be laughing, crying, falling over and I would watch as these adults were just encountering the presence of God and it was like just really affecting who they were. Now I really loved this Sunday night kind of rhythm that we got into really because it meant that we would always have fish and chips afterwards. So it was like quite a significant thing. We'd always have fish and chips. And then my dad loves strawberries and cream. So we would always have strawberries and cream as well, which is obviously quite a weird combo. But um, I just remember quite early on seeing like the power of God hitting people's bodies and, and what that would do. Now, um, so there's that going on. But also it actually affected quite a lot of the way that my mum and dad parented me. So uh, around the same time, um, there was a school disco uh, and I was chatting with my brother, Adam, who is two years younger than me, and his best mate, James, and I was saying to them, guys, I'm going to kiss a girl tonight. And we were having this chat, I'm like, I'm going to go there. I had my new, I had these brand new, like, high-top black shoes with dinosaurs on them, so 10. I'm like, Hon honestly, I'm going to meet a girl, I'm going to kiss her, she's going to like my shoes. Um, and uh, they were, like, laughing, and I'm like, this is serious, yeah? I'm going to actually finally kiss a girl. And... Um, my mum heard me say that, and she uh, called me into the kitchen with Adam and James. And she's like, what do you think Jesus thinks about you talking like that about women? I'm like, uh, she's like, Jesus respects women. I'm like, yeah. Do you think just going out there to kiss girls is respecting women? I'm like, uh, no. And then, obviously, I didn't handle this moment really well, because I said, you always just bring out the Jesus card. She's like, right, that is it. Um, I got, basically my punishment, or the consequence of me being disrespectful, was that I was told at our garden, um, backed onto a wreck, which was about five football pitch. That's how big it was. She's like, you need to cool off. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You need to go and run around the wreck four times. And while you're doing that, you need to think about the way that Jesus, what Jesus thinks about women. And I want you to come and write an essay about respecting women. I'm like, okay, mum. So, uh, yeah, that is definitely, I'm going to parent Jackson, because I can imagine him doing the exact same thing. So, um, yeah, obviously that's the way I grew up, and this idea that just Jesus is involved in every single part of our lives is really uh, just an important thing. And we just see that as we open up Dirty Glory, that is what kind of Pete is encouraging us as a church to do. And for me, the presence of Jesus in my life made available by the Holy Spirit is something that's so powerful and so important. Um, obviously, Eric shared the, um, the story from what happened in the lighthouse this week about that guy's leg growing out, which the, the guy getting healed and his leg growing out is amazing, and he was like blown away by what happened. But to be honest, the beginning part of the story was more powerful to me, which was, he just caught me on the stairs and he said, I heard that you say that you're a pastor, you're a minister, this guy's like 40 years old. He said, I heard you say that. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, yeah, I pastor a church. And he's like, can we just have a chat? And so we went and had a chat in the Cozy, which is the coffee shop up there. And um, he just started talking to me about his life. And he's like, I want to be a Christian, but um, I'm just struggling with a relationship that he was in, and or he might still be in it. But he was just talking to me about that and he was like can you just give me some advice of how I should like be a Christian in this relationship and we got chatting and basically what 
I figured out was that, you know, he hadn't actually encountered Holy Spirit, that he was trying to live a life pursuing Jesus, but he hadn't actually encountered Holy Spirit. So I said to him, um, I'm going to pray for you. And he told me in his story that he'd been attacked at work and had post-traumatic stress. And that's why all, all of his back was like, was, he was still in pain from that and that he couldn't like think straight. So I said to him, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray for you to get healed. And I felt like God said to me, one of his legs is shorter than the other. So I just said to him, and we're going to pray that the leg that's shorter than the other will grow. So I'm like, we're out of the boat. I might as well just say it like that. Because if he's like, uh, my legs are the same length, then I'd be like, okay, that was awkward. Um, but he's like, how do you know that? I'm like, yeah, because God speaks to me. and um, So we're going to pray, and your leg's going to grow as well. Um, but what I said is, before we do all that, is I just want to pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? He's like, yeah. So stood him up. And uh, I said, put your hands out in front of you. And um, this bit is why I think it's legal to do this. It says, verse 2, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. The fact that our flesh can cry out for the living God is for me why when people encounter Holy Spirit, they do things like shake. Sometimes you'll feel cold. Sometimes you'll feel hot. It's that our bodies are actually conducive to the Holy Spirit, and we can feel the presence of God. So I said to him, why don't you put your hands out in front of you, and I'm going to pray that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a few things you'll know that's happened is that you'll start to be able to think clear because you couldn't think straight. The other thing is, is God wants to reveal himself to you, and so your body is just going to start to feel really warm as Holy Spirit just starts to encounter you. He's like, okay. So we pray. Just thank God for this guy. He actually said he was going to come this morning, but he's not here yet. Just in case he is here, then I'll interview him because it would be better than me sharing it. Um, but I said, you know, thank you. I can't remember his name, which is why I wanted to check. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it was here, because that would be awkward. Um, we just invited Holy Spirit into the moment, and, and I just said to him, did, did you feel that warmth? Did you feel your mind getting clear? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what is happening? And I said, and we just prayed, and, and the pain left his back, and uh, then I sat him down on the um, on the bench, and with, with growing out legs, is some people are like, um, you obviously can cheat with that, which is just pull one of the shoes slightly off. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah, look, your legs are short, look, now they're fine. Um, but, you know, you push on the heels. And I'm like, in Jesus' name, we just speak to this right leg. And I just say, grow. And you just, whoop. It doesn't make that noise. <laughs> whoop. Um, but, yeah, and his leg grows out. And he's like, wow, what is happening? So he's going to do Alpha. And it's a great advert for Alpha. Just see miracles happen. And then say, come to Alpha and we'll explain why that can happen. Um, so, yeah, that was powerful. Really powerful. And um, it's, as I read Psalm 84, what I read is, and no, no one's really sure exactly who wrote it. Some think it's David, some think it's someone else. If you read Dirty Glory, you'll see that Pete actually thinks it's someone else, not David who writes it. But for me, it's a declaration, it's an encouragement, it's an invitation to dwell in the presence of the Lord. Now, what is dwell? Dwell is to make our home, to dwell is a verb, it's to decide to do something to rest in his presence and sometimes that can feel like passive like dwell means to just stay where you are but actually to dwell in the presence of the Lord is something that looks like us resolving in our minds making a decision that actually the presence of God is something that I can encounter all the time in Corinthians in 1 Corinthians Paul says I resolve to know nothing but Christ crucified 
Now, when we read that, obviously when we think about Paul, we can think that what Paul's talking about is at that point he resolves to know nothing but Christ crucified. is all about thinking about our identity as forgiven saints. Now, I think that Paul is talking about that. Some of us say forgiven sinners, but forget that. We're forgiven saints. Yeah? Is what I... Another thing that when we look at the cross and, and what the cross achieved for us, it did restore our identity, but also what happened at the cross was that the curtain was torn and two things happened there, which meant that God, we were now able to access God, we were able to go into the temple. But the other thing is that God is now out of the temple. And sometimes I think that we forget this like omnipresent side of God, which is that he's everywhere, in everything. So when he says, I resolve to know nothing but Christ crucified, the way that we sometimes we need to resolve in our mind is that God isn't just here or just in our prayer closet or just in certain moments. God is everywhere. And actually, as I resolve to know nothing but Christ crucified, a fruit of that belief and that mindset is that I can encounter God wherever I am. I hear some people, and I think it's funny, um, they're like, you know, I can't believe that person prays for a parking space. You heard that? Like people praying for parking spaces. Like God has got much like more important things to do, like figuring out world hunger and all these things, than to give a rip about whether you get a parking space or not. Now, I understand the sentiment is that people are trying to say, you know, we need to, you know, make sure we're focused on God in the big things. But in Proverbs, it says, consider him in all your ways. That means that he is in all your ways. Parking, if you've got a car, is part of your life. And so actually, I get the thing of like, let's not just bring God right into the little things, but actually sometimes in not bringing God into the little things, we start to create sacred and secular parts of who we are. I actually think that maybe rather than not praying for parking space, we should start praying for parking spaces, not so that we can park better, but so that we're more aware of God in everything that we're doing. That's part of dwelling, making him part of all that we are and all that we do. Now, Wow, it's actually 10 to 11. I'm just getting started. Um, why, what can we skip? Skip, skip, skip. Just enjoy it. The, the kids' team will like this. I'll just talk a little about Jesus and then we'll stand. I believe that Jesus is a blueprint for all of our lives. The way he lived, what he did, is actually something that we get to look at. And if Jesus did everything as God, then it's a great story. But if he did everything as a man in perfect relationship with God, then actually it becomes an encouragement for the way that we can live. Now, why is that important? It's important because the way that we see Jesus modeling his life is that he obviously spent loads of his life in community. And that's a lot of what M was talking about last week, about spending our life in community. But what we see is that Jesus, it's recorded the moments that he left community to go and be with God. So we know that Jesus was passionate about community, but he was also passionate about encountering God. And through Dirty Glory, Pete makes the point that God audibly speaks to Jesus only three times. So when Jesus shows up, we see three moments where God audibly speaks and each time what he does is he affirms his identity and tells everyone who can hear that he's pleased with him. 
Now, Jesus' job is to save the world, so he's obviously got a lot of pressure on him. But rather than giving Jesus advice on what to do, he just says, you're my son, and I'm proud of you. You're my son, and I'm proud of you. You're my son, and I'm proud of you. Now, the thing why that's important is that we can quite often get into a view of God where he is hyper-sovereign. What does that mean? What what that can mean is that we can live our lives with God thinking that um, what I need to do with my relationship with God is we move it out of relationship into God, you're the only one that's happening in this connection. So I give my life to you and then I'm like, God, tell me exactly what to do. I give you all my circumstances. I want to disappear and I want just God to do everything. Now, the problem with hyper-sovereignty is that that looks like us completely disappearing. And there's no relationship you're in where there's only one feature in it. Yet relationship looks like two active parts. And so God isn't wanting you to disappear. He's wanting to be in your circumstance. I tell this story a lot, but I think it's important and then we'll finish. Is that Jackson, my son, is terrified of fireworks. And when he was two, we, he was at home and we were going through, we were about to get into it, Halloween and bonfire night. And we put him to bed and then fireworks would be going off. It's about a week long, people doing different pies at different times. And every time the fireworks would go off, he'd start crying. Um, obviously, we get through the firework kind of season and then we get into like November, December, but we know that New Year's Eve is coming up. And so we get to that night and we put Jackson to bed about 8 o'clock and we stay at home because we were rock and roll parents who <laughs> were celebrating the new year, coming in at home watching TV. And um, we get to like 11.55, we put the TV on and then we, uh, we watch as kind of they start to introduce the fireworks and then it goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year, fireworks go off. And what we hear is Jackson starts to cry. He starts to cry, so I run upstairs and I pick him up, and we open the windows, and we look out, and we see the fireworks going up, and he stops crying. Why is that interesting? His circumstance didn't change. What changed was he was aware of the presence of his dad. And that's important for all of us, is that we invite God into our circumstance. We're like, God, fix our circumstance. Whereas actually sometimes I think that God just wants to be with us in our circumstance. And that's what a pursuit of his presence looks like. Hyper-sovereignty, the issue with that is that I don't want to grow Jackson up to a point where he gets to like 25 and he's like, Dad, what do you want me to do? If he gets to 25 and he still asks me what he should do, then actually I've failed as a dad. My job is to grow him up to a point where he can think for himself and that he learns that he's powerful. And that as I develop in him this heart, that is for people, for God, for life, that he starts to be able to make his own choices connected to me and M and a relationship with God. So, so I've had to like rush this. It is 5 to 11. We told the kids that we'd be done at quarter two, so I have to say sorry to them. Why don't we stand? Ben, do you want to come up? Why don't you put your hands out in front of you? I'll pray, and then we kind of really need to go and get our children.